That's, uh, that's good teaching. That's good teaching from Pastor Ty. It's a good reminder, amen? It's a good reminder that this world cannot fulfill you, cannot satiate you, cannot fill the hole that is in your life, but only Jesus can do it, right? You know what I love most about when Pastor Ty teaches a little bit? Is that even today, Pastor Ty teached on shiny things. Because Pastor Ty knows that even if you have a sequin coat, that's still not enough. Amen? I'm so grateful to be in the house today. I'm so grateful the anointing is here. Everything that I wanted to say to close that song, you said, which tells me we're already operating in all that the Lord wants us to do. Amen? Amen. Do me a favor. You may head back to your seats, but high five your neighbor on the way there. Say, you just need Jesus. You just need Jesus. Always and only. Always. So good. Sometimes you have to speak those things in faith, you know? Sometimes it doesn't feel like the only thing you want is Jesus, you know? There's some days that I, I, I find myself, and you know what, I'm being honest, I don't always and only want Jesus. Right. Wow. Right. Me too. Do you ever have one of those days where you, you want Jesus, but you also, am I talking, am I all by myself? You ever have one of those days where he sings always and only, and you're thinking it's sometimes and every once in a while. Sometimes you have to speak that in faith. Lord, it's always and only you. And, and God, you give me the power to make it always and only you. In Jesus' name, amen? Hey, help me thank God for our worship team, for Pastor Ty, for everybody up here today. They're going to come back after our time in the, in the Word today. Uh, I'm going to jump in and just give you a couple announcements, and then we're going we're to spend some time... Microphone, please. Please give me my microphone. I got something to say. That sequin coat has you with a lot of courage. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got something to say. Chanel, could you, could you come on stage? Aww. That's kind. my church I love it do you know what today is hey it's our anniversary I love this church hey anniversary do you know what today is it's our anniversary our anniversary 
Oh, that's wonderful. Which one is it? It's the gold one. I picked this out. <laughs> if it's shiny, if it's shiny. Break it down. So, now, next week is also their birthday. Chanel will be 25. Stevie will be 67. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we just want to say from from the leadership team and from and from all of the teams, we uh, we really appreciate uh, the leadership that uh, that both you and Chanel uh, exhibit. And we just want thank to you, say Pastor. Thank you, uh, so much. Uh, can I get everyone on the leadership team just to stand up real quick? Because it was a valiant effort. You know, we, we had to pull everyone mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And I just want to thank everybody thank for, you. Uh, for contributing. So, Chanel, this is for you. The shiny pink one. That out. <laughs> and we got some flowers for you. Oh, I love you gotta it. Hold the bottom. Hold the bottom. <laughs> and then we have. Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. It's, it's, it's pretty dope. I'm I almost took it myself. Oh, uh, I love it. But, uh, we have for you. Thank y'all so much. And then, and then there's that's a little something, something, something in one of them envelopes. Uh, you know, y'all to get y'all something to eat. But if oh. you want to get me something to eat, it's all good. Can I just get the church to stand up real quick? And we just want to sing Happy Birthday the way that uh, Pastor C.P. and Chanel love it. Hey, happy Birthday to you. Happy Birthday to you. Happy birthday, happy birthday to ya. Happy birthday to ya. Happy birthday. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was nice, huh? Cal, will you help? That was very kind of you. Thank you, Pastor. We love you. I'm so grateful. I don't like interruptions, but that was very kind. What a joy. It, it's true. Chanel and I, we, uh, uh, our birthdays are, mine's August 14th, hers is the 15th, and our anniversary's on the 16th. Man, that's a pro tip right there. That is a pro tip, man. You never miss it at all if you put it right next to all the other dates. Amen. So I'm grateful for our church. Thank you all for, for loving on us and, and, um, and taking care of us so much. Uh, let me give you a couple updates that are happening here in the house over the next couple of days, and then we'll dive into the word. Where's all my ladies at? Say Yeah. Tonight, our women's ministry is headed to Jazz at City Park. All of the ladies who registered are going to be gathering tonight, and I'm excited for all that the Lord is doing for, through Chanel and all of the women, a great opportunity, and it's just perfect weather, not too hot, not too cold, just wonderful. So I'm, I'm praying that they'll have a wonderful evening uh, tonight. And then I'm so grateful for all that the Lord has been doing through our church, not the least of which is the development and strengthening of our youth ministries. Pastor Josh and Ladoris Derrett, would y'all stand up one more time? I always have to pick on you and love you. Help me thank God for them. God's just doing a mighty work through you guys. And last weekend you had Connections at the Park. It was an amazing event. And next Sunday is our back to school event. So I wanna thank all of you who've donated school supplies. They're gonna be packing those bags. And then I wanna invite all of you uh, who have registered. Let's make sure all of our students are in the house next Sunday. We're going to be giving out those school supplies, those backpacks to prepare the kids for school. And it is the kickoff of our small group ministry. And you may not know this, but right across the street at the Goose Town Tavern, our Stoke and Ignite student ministry will have their own small group ministry right across the street 
during service. And so everything we've been praying for, that the Lord would strengthen a team of leaders and would, would give us an opportunity to disciple our next generation is coming to pass in this season. So if you're a parent and your kids aren't involved yet, make sure that they're here on Sunday so they can get plugged right in. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to push you real hard, real quick. Uh, Gary, would you take down the keys in the monitor just a touch for me? Um, we're growing. And I want to I want to I want to just lay out some some facts for you, and I want to push you a little bit. Um, it, it's the middle of summer, okay? And usually in Colorado, in the middle of summer, at a church that's our age, it's like a ghost town. It's the pastor and his wife giving each other gifts, singing to each other, <laughs> and a faithful few. Because Colorado is is just one of those environments where church is not really part of the culture. There's so many wonderful things to do. And yet, over the course of this last summer for us as a church, we've just seen this room continue to fill every single Sunday. Look around you. I mean, we're, we're a full room. We're at standing room capacity here on a Sunday in the middle of the summer. And what happens in the fall is that everybody kind of get back, gets back to the rhythm of life. The kids are back in school. Vacations are over. The, the, the leaves start turning and you build a routine. And so many people begin to come back in church, in church every single week. And that means that we're already too full for when that happens. And so we've been working as a team, as a leadership team, and I've been planning, but we're getting ready to go to two services in October, okay? And here's what that means. We need your help. Over the last four years, we have had a tremendous team of leaders, staff, pastors, deacons, team leaders, and volunteers who serve every single Sunday to make this happen. And I'm just now getting the opportunity to transition some of our most faithful leaders into a time of rest. Can y'all say rest? But I'm telling you now, it's your turn. As a church, if this is your church, and I want you to hear me with the most pure heart, if I am your pastor, I need your help. We're about to grow and we need all that are able to step up to serve in this coming season. God is going to explode this and I can't have just the same 12 people grinding it out every single Sunday, especially as we go to 12, two services, amen? So here's the deal. In the app right now, I want to encourage you to sign up to join a service team. I've updated all of the service teams. We need people in production, in worship. We need people at the welcome booth, on the safety team, security, uh, setup, teardown, cleanup, this curtain, and Spark Kids Ministry. And here's the deal. Hear me, okay? Please don't think I'm talking to someone else. You're here today, Amen. I'm literally talking to you. I need you to serve today. Amen. So if, you, if this is home, please help at home. Okay? We're about to grow, and I need to strengthen our teams in preparation for October 1st because the Lord is about to break something loose in the heart of this city. Amen? And I have a sense that once we get the right rhythm, we're going to go to two services Christmas Eve. We're going to have three services. By Easter, I'm thinking 26 services. Amen. <laughs> I'm not preaching. I'm only preaching one. Somebody else is going to have to preach 25. But here's the deal. We need your help, okay? So in the app today, I want to encourage you to do this. I specifically need help on our facilities team. Fellas, this is the hard work, setting up, tearing down, and building that curtain. And I need every able-bodied man who flexes his muscles, come on, that's you, to sign up for that team. And then also we need help in Spark Kids. Our kids are growing, and we want to continue to provide an environment where they are discipled well every single week. Y'all hear me? You with me? You got this? Y'all good? Okay. Please don't. Please, 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 please hear me. I'm not doing this 
Um, for any other reason that I believe in this church and I see what God does in the life of people when they serve. We're called to serve and God's calling us to greater. Amen? Amen. If you don't have the app, which is where everything is located, you can get the app right now. should be on the screen behind you in just a second. You can download our app. It's got everything that you need in terms of signing up for a service team, submitting a prayer request, listening to sermons, joining a small group, whatever you may need. You can even give in the app. It's all right there. The best way to do it is to text the word beacon to the number 97,000, and they'll get you a link. You can download it right there. Amen? Hey, let me, uh, let me ask you to help me celebrate and, and thank God for the opportunity to be generous in the house of the Lord. Can y'all help me? You can do better than that. It is good to be generous in the house of the Lord. I was just helping one of our team members today who serves faithfully and whose life has been dramatically changed by the glory of Jesus Christ in this church. And she was telling me how grateful she was to be a part of our church. Uh, I can't even begin to tell you how, how amazing God's work has been in your life. And she said to me, you know, Pastor, I was just thinking, I, I, I wish there was something I could do to just tell God and tell everyone how grateful I am. And she said, you know, like a party or something. And she said, and you know what I heard in my spirit was just, just give and serve. That's what I can do to tell the Lord that I'm grateful. And, you know, I, I'm going to tell you right now as a pastor, to hear people say yes to God, to hear people say they know what the Lord's called them to, which is selfless service and generous living, that's about the best reward I can get. And I want to challenge each one of you to begin to think about how you can be obedient in the same measure, in the same way that I push you in this church to serve because it's our call and because God does a mighty work through those who serve. I want to push you in the same vein to be obedient in your giving. You said, oh, I've heard it again. I've been to church a million times. They're always asking for money. They're always asking for money because it's always in the Bible. Amen. The reason your pastor asks you to give is not because I want more money, but because if you are, what's the word I want to use that's appropriate and kind, stingy with your finances, God sees it. Amen? For God loves a cheerful giver. And we are all called to be generous because it models the heart of our generous father, okay? So if you haven't been given, I want to challenge you to do it. Be faithful, be obedient, be fruitful. Give as the Lord would lead you and trust him that when you give, it never leaves your life. It might leave your hand, but it goes and sows seeds and it produces good fruit in this place today. Amen? If you're giving today, let me pray over your gift. Before we do that, several ways you can give online on the screen, or if you're giving by check or cash, the offering box is right by the bar in the very back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, I'm asking today that we would hear your heart, not the words of man. God, let us not be the kind of people who hear words from a pastor and discount it, but let us hear words from your throne. For your word says it is greater to give than to receive. Your word says that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. The call of the gospel has always been, been to be sacrificial in our giving and in our serving. Help us to hear you today. And as we sow seed, as we sow time, talent, treasure, would you bless us and bring forth a fruit that multiplies in the kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen, amen. amen. Do you have your Bible? Say yeah. We're going to continue our study today in the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the churches in Galatea. What most theologians believe is the churches in southern Galatea, which is known 
today as modern day Turkey. I'm going to pick up today where we left off last week in Galatians chapter 5. I'm reading verses 16 through 26. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. And, um, and, and we're going to do some significant teaching today. I brought my notebook. I don't usually do that, but I have too many notes that I didn't want to miss today. So I want to make sure that we get time to do all of this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. You have it? Say yeah. yeah. It reads like this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works, somebody say works. works. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Somebody say things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. For if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. The title of our our text, our, our time together, this message I've entitled, Finding the Right Pace. Finding the right pace. Finding the right pace at which you can walk in such a manner that glorifies God, that demonstrates that God is the Lord of your life, that Jesus is in control, that the Holy Spirit has taken residence in your heart. If you're taking notes, if you have your workbook from our small group study, the big idea today, if you leave with nothing, it would be this. There is a pace at which God leads his people. There is a pace that's a specific manner in which God leads his people. And it is high time that we keep that pace. Let let me make it personal today. Do me a favor. Take your hand of strength. If you're right-handed, take your right hand. If you're left-handed, take your your left hand. And and I want you to put that hand of strength upon your heart, right on your chest. And I want you to repeat after me. There is a pace at which God leads his people. It's high time I keep the pace. Let's make it personal. I keep the pace. Let's pray over this word. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, I'm, I'm just getting out of your way today. You say what you want to say and do what you want to do. I ask that you would convict the hearts that need to be convicted, that you would encourage the hearts that need to be encouraged. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we cast out every demon and every assignment that's on this room. The only spirit that reigns in this room is the Holy Spirit. Have your way. Amen. I have, a, I have a few favorite movies. It turns out most all of them are Will Ferrell movies. I have any Step Brothers fans in the room? Should we go do karate in the garage? I, I don't know about you, but I, when I hear that invitation, I am ready. I also love the movie Talladega Nights, and I, I, I'm not... I'm not going to lie to you. There's some inappropriate parts that I have learned by faith to fast forward through. Come on, somebody. 
I do like when those children berate their grandfather, though that's totally inappropriate. But one thing I like about that movie is it's given me a little bit of a toe in the water, a sort of a crash course for dummies on NASCAR. See, I'm, I'm not from the South. I don't know anything about NASCAR. And if you do, I don't, I don't understand it still. I really don't. I like football, amen, and other sports where there is more than just one left turn over and over and over again. But one thing that I've come to love about racing, specifically NASCAR, is, is, is something I learned from, <laughs> from, from Talladega Nights. You didn't know we were going to talk about that movie today at church, did you? What did you all talk about? I, I don't know. Shake and bake is what we talked about in Jesus' name. What I, what I learned from that movie is that in NASCAR, in racing, pacing matters. Amen? At the beginning of every race, there's a pace car who gets in front of all of the racers and sets the pace, brings them all together at a general and consistent pace so that when the race actually starts, no one is left behind and no one is at a detriment. Amen? And if you've ever watched the pace car work at the beginning of a race, you'll see that that car is in the front and going slow, and those race cars are swerving back and forth quickly. Have you ever seen this before? What they're doing is controlling their urge to go fast. And they're turning their wheels quickly to create friction between the road and the rubber, right? And it looks like a caged animal ready to be released. You ever see it? And there's actually nothing more exciting. And I won't lie to you. It's the only part about NASCAR that I like than when the the pace car comes around the, the last corner and begins to make his slow left turn into the pit and those cars rev up to full strength and take off. Y'all ever seen that before? I'm not a race fan, but when that happens, I'm like... I love it. I'm so excited. But that pace is important because if they didn't start with a pace car and they just said, go, then every car would take off from a different spot at a different pace without the necessary grip to the road. And it would be like chaos. Amen. It would be like if Shake and Bake were the only two drivers on the course, but there was tons of them. They were just all over the place all the time, right? And life is just like Talladega Nights. We're always (laughs) trying... I could go further. No one knows how to say crepes. You know what I mean? It's It's a thing. Life is like Talladega Nights in that life is all about pace. Life really is about finding the rhythm in which you walk. I want to tell you from your own life, you can think about life where you got really fired up and you got serious. But how many of you are kind of like me that once you get excited about an idea, you kind of get tunnel vision about it and you go all in? Does anybody ever do that? I got people tapping each other. That's definitely you. You or that. And do you ever find that when you get excited like that, that it's easy also to burn out and lose that excitement just as quickly? You ever meet people that just always seem to be plodding forward no matter what happens? They just always, that's because they have found the right pace. And this text that Paul is writing to us today, he's talking to us about pace. In fact, he's actually using language that is very clearly married to the way in which we walk, the speed in which we walk, and with whom we walk, who sets our pace. I want you to see this in the beginning of the text. The apostle is writing about three kinds of pace that people might find themselves walking. Let's talk about the first pace. Walking according to the flesh or living in the flesh. This, ladies and gentlemen, is our natural pace. 
We live in a fallen world. We are children of the first Adam. We live according to original sin. And so left to our own devices, we are all in some form or fashion walking a pretty dangerous pace, a dangerous pace marked by our unbridled passion that lacks guidance. Left to our own devices, each one of us would walk in such a manner that would lead us to destruction. The Bible tells us on more than one occasion that the wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us on more than one occasion there is not one good, no, not one. Our natural state is to go after things that are simply not good for us. And we'll do it again and again and again. This is the road, the Bible declares, that leads to destruction. There's another pace. It's mentioned actually, strangely, just barely at the end of verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The second pace is, is actually living under the law. This is the pace by which we are, are, are behind a pace car, so to speak. God's first act of grace to his people was to deliver the law. The law acted as a pace setter. It was to say, everybody gather together, and this is the standard. No one goes further, and no one gets left behind. Live right here. But just like just like race cars behind the pace. Every one of us behind law gets a little bit squirrely, amen? We're turning our wheels fast, we're revving our engines, we're trying to figure out when will this be out of my way? And that's one of the things that religion does is mostly it has us thinking as soon as this thing gets away from me, I'm gonna do me. Interesting thing about law and religion is that it doesn't do a very good job of helping us change our pace for very long. It limits our pace for a short period of time and actually exacerbates the pace of living in the flesh quickly after it leaves. How many of you ever found that people once relieved of the burden of religion go absolutely buck wild? You know what I'm talking about? I'll just say it for myself. I was raised in the church. My parents are here. They loved Jesus. They loved Jesus when I was a child. They wanted me to love Jesus. I didn't get it all the way. I wasn't all the way bought in. I understood it. I loved the Lord, but I wasn't all the way connected. And when I went to college, I'll just end the sentence there. <laughs> Amen. Because some of us have been living and it looks like we're walking, running, driving a good pace. But we're kind of just biding our time until this thing gets out of the way. And the apostle says there is, there is a better pace. There's a right pace. It's living by the Spirit. The apostle Paul is trying to paint the picture of these three paces, living by the flesh, unbridled in our passion, reckless and destruction, living according to the law, held back but not really living to our potential, not really living at all, and the third way or the way, which is living by the Spirit, surrendered to Jesus as Lord, indwelt by the Holy Spirit who sets the pace from within. And in this instance, when you have the Holy Spirit setting the pace from within, you're no longer beholden to the destruction of the flesh that leads you towards death, but also not stuck behind a religion that you fake the funk until it gets out of your way. 
No, living by the flesh means completely surrendered to the Lord and letting the Lord lead your life such that you don't need flesh and you don't need law because he's calling all the shots from the inside out. This is what it looks like around the last 12 laps of the race when the best of the best have finally made themselves all the way up to the front and you watch real masters of the driving go together down the road and they're this, they're inches from each other and you and I both know one wrong move and that's absolute destruction but because they've gotten so good because they're not just driving a car but the car is driving them because it's in their blood and in their bones they know exactly how to go, where to go, what to avoid and how fast they need to go and when they need to hold up. That's what it looks like to live by the Spirit it's in you. And Paul is writing to a church that's this close to living by the Spirit. But they're so far because they keep missing it. Paul writes to them and he says, we've got to clarify some things because uh, if you don't get this, you'll miss it all. Now, I want you to hear me real quick. The body is not the issue. Amen? Your shell is not the problem. The body is neutral. When we say living by the flesh, we're talking about the sin nature of man. Amen? Not your body. Okay? Don't be ashamed of your body. When we talk about living by the spirit, we're talking about the spirit man and how the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within the spirit man, thereby changing the man into someone who looks, lives, and has their being like Jesus Christ. And these two things, as Paul writes, are against one another. You you, you may have seen it, but he says this. He says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. The reason this matters is this. You cannot mix the two. You cannot say I am both led by the spirit and led by the flesh. You cannot green light acts of the flesh and think you're still led by the spirit. I might put it like this. You can't glorify God with the flesh. Carnal things are not sacred things. You also can't go on sinning if you are led by the spirit. There is a clear dividing line here. And in case it's confusing for you, let me put some skin on the game, okay? I've done this one, this example before in a, in a young adults ministry we used to lead, and uh, it was wild. But I read this, again, from another theologian, and the example is perfect because it takes a wonderful idea from the flesh, a perfect encapsulation of what sin in the flesh looks like, and pairs it with life in the spirit, and it shows us the juxtaposition. Ready? It's going to be harmful. It's going to be a little abrasive. You cannot enjoy pornography and pray at the same time. They just, it just, you can't do it. Now, you can say words that sound like prayers, but if you're engaged in the acts of the flesh, you are not talking to the God of the Spirit. You're with me? You see the stark contrast here. You need to understand that when you are engaged in a life that is marked by living by the flesh, you cannot also pretend that you are living by the spirit. You are either led by the flesh 
or led by the Spirit. Y'all with me? Stark contrast you cannot miss. And so Paul dives into the contrast. He says, these two things are against each other, and let me show you one from another. So first thing he does is shows us the dangerous pace. I've got this note out here, and I don't, I don't want to miss it. I don't usually use anything else but the word, but I spent a lot of time in the word today to make sure that I had all of this together. You need to understand the dangerous pace that Paul presents to us today. Here's what he says. He says, these sins that I'm about to lay out for you, when practiced, when habituated, when they become a part of your lifestyle, prevent you from an inheritance with God. You think that's me? Let me read it for you. He says, I warned you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this word, do, is the word for practice or do over and again. So the conversation we're going to have today is about some specific behaviors that will prevent you from inheriting eternal life, from spending the rest of your life with Jesus. You said, but wait, I said the prayer. I'm telling you again, you may have said the prayer, but if this is your life, you uttered empty words because your life has not changed. You are living in the flesh. You all with me today? He says, these are the works, the works of the flesh. And there are 15 in total. I'm going to break them down into three distinct categories so that we better understand them together. This list is not an exhaustive list. Amen? These 15 things are not it. He says also, here's all the things. Oh, and things like these. Amen? So lest you be like, as long as I got those, I can act any other kind of way. That's not what we're talking about here. Well, the real marrow of this conversation is not these specific things, but the way in which you live around things you know don't give glory to God. It's about what you practice and what you live out. And he says, these are the works of the flesh. Now notice the difference in the word. We're going to talk about the fruits of the spirit in just a second. But right now we're talking about the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, the things that you do that defile you. Notice the difference. Because when we talk about fruit, we're not talking about what you do. Here's 15 of them. I'm going to read them for you real quick and we'll break them out. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. There are three kinds. The first kind is sins against God. These are things that you do that are distinctly disruptive to your relationship with God. The first one in this category is idolatry. There can be nothing and no one over God in your life. You said, easy, I don't have another God. Okay, what's your relationship like with money? When God tells you to give, is he God or is your money God? Which one do you think about all the time? Let me ask you this, which app do you open first thing in the morning? Amen? You know which app it's supposed to be. Don't you? We know which app it's supposed to be. We're supposed to open the word, put on our glasses, cup of coffee, look out the window. Mark chapter 1. Lo, the Lord would say unto thee. You know that's it. Amen? But for some of us, most of us, it's our, our checking account app. Or it's social media. Or it's work or it's anything. 
I want you to, to understand that whatever gets your attention, if it gets more of your attention than your God, you might really be struggling with idolatry. Nothing and no one over God. You know this from Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, where God himself says, there shall be no other gods beside me. Now, what I'm going to be doing here as we walk through each one of these 15 is giving you either a first mention, a primary mention, or a great example from the Old Testament where this idea exists. So that you don't think I'm just winging it from the New Testament, we're going to take it back line on line, precept on precept, so that you know that God's standard has always been the same. Amen? You with me? I'm preaching good today. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm beating y'all up. I want to hear it. Number two, in sins against God, sorcery. You said, don't worry. <laughs> I don't practice sorcery. I don't even know what it means. Sorcery is this. Sp any spiritual practice, ready? Any spiritual practice where you're seeking power from someone or something other than God. Here's the problem with this, is because we all do this in some fashion. Because the world is full of ideas that are actually spiritual practices. You need to drink more water. You need to get more sun. You need to go to this meeting. You need to breathe deep. You need to exercise. You need to meditate. You need to drink coffee. No drink mud water. You need to do these things. Oh, I'm coming for you today. Don't you worry. I watch the same stupid Instagram ads you do. Do this thing and it will change your, your being, your feeling, your thinking. Any spiritual practice that seeks, speaks, that seeks spiritual power from anyone other than God is, as the Bible would define, sorcery. What? Isaiah 8, 9, 8, 19 puts a pretty good point on it. The prophet, when speaking about the people's desire to seek out mediums and psychics for wisdom, says, should we really seek the dead on behalf of the living? Shouldn't we seek after the one who gives life? Let me put that in your brain so that every time someone gives you some good advice, you can ask, should I really be seeking the dead? Number three, in the sins against God, enmity. Now, this is a word we don't use very often, and it's important for us to understand. This word actually means hatred that makes you think you're God and act like the devil. This is when you're so angry, you begin to plot and devise the destruction of others. This is first mentioned when God begins to interrogate Cain after he killed Abel. And he says, where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And God says, the ground cries, the blood in the ground cries out. And he says in Genesis 4.11, you are cursed by the ground that, that holds Abel's blood. Here's the, here's the practical application today. Because you say, I, I haven't killed anybody, don't you worry. but you have thought about it. Have you not? Have you not said, I just, I wish they would. You, you, I mean, you ever done it? 
You said, I wish they'd just drive right off. <laughs> you ever been so angry at somebody, so frustrated with somebody? They're in your life all the time. You don't say this about strangers. This is people you know that you have to know, that you see all the time. And you're like, you know what I wish? You know what? I don't want to be rude or anything, but if you could just smite them, almighty smiter, that'd be fantastic. That is enmity. That is you putting yourself in the position of who gets to live and who gets to die. And your behavior exhibits that of the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, he who came to destroy. That's enmity. Ask yourself, are you plotting anybody's demise in your head? Three sins against God. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity. What gets your attention? What gets your reverence? What holds your power? Second category, sins against self. These are personal sins, okay? And these matter because these are the ones that no one thinks anyone knows about. Amen. Ready? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, orgies, and drunkenness. Here we go. Y'all ready? Before I jump into this, please do not allow yourself to say, he is just saying things he doesn't like. Amen. I am not saying things I don't like. I'm not making this up. This isn't hate speech. This isn't me trying to oppose or prevent or oppress anyone and their lifestyle. This is the word of God. It is inerrant in its original translation. It is authoritative over our life and it is sufficient all that we need. Please also don't hear me as saying, well, it's what God thinks, and if I could do it different, I would. I wouldn't. Do you know why? Because he's God. That settles it for me. If he says these things are wrong, they're wrong, and I will live up to that standard, and it's my duty to tell you about the same standard. It would be wrong of me to say, well, I wish it could be different. I don't wish it was different. I want to do things God's way, and I want you to do them the same way. <laughs> Sexual immorality. Ready? All sex. Say it with me. All sex outside God's covenant for marriage. Genesis 2, 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the picture of God's covenant of marriage and the way in which sex is to be given to husband and wife. Amen? Amen. Sex exists for husband and wife to covenant makers and covenant keepers to fulfill God's commandment to be fruitful and multiply. Sex is a bonus. Sex is a gift. Sex is fun. Amen. amen. All my married couples can say amen. amen. Everybody else just pretend like I ain't talking to you. I don't know. I don't know. Sex for the covenant of marriage is good. Any sex outside the covenant marriage is bad. Pastor, hold on. We love each other. We're serious. We're monogamous. We're all the way in. This is forever. We love each other. We're common law married. Yeah, that is not the same thing as God's covenant for marriage. Y'all with me? Well, we live together. What am I supposed to do? You're supposed to move out and live holy until you make the covenant of marriage and then get back. Am I preaching to somebody? I know this is the hard part, but I'm going to hit you with it because you have to know it. There is no gray area. You're either led by the flesh or led by the spirit. You said, pastor, hold on. I was born this way. This is just the way God made me. You may not like it. The religious Pharisees may not like it, but I was born this way. Yes, you were just like all of us born into sin. That's why you must be born again. I was born with lust in my heart, but I don't get to stand before the father and go, you made me this way. So I'm just going to dilly dally all I want. No, the standard is true. Sex 
in marriage. Everything else is wrong. Good? Woo! You're like, I thought this was going to be a fun church. It's not a fun church. It's a real church made to make you better. Second one, impurity. Ready? Impurity. This is a lewd and or profane action, language, and desires. In Leviticus 16, 16, the Bible tells us that the people were acting in impurity. This impurity so grieved the father that the priests actually had to make atonement for this specific sin. Impurity today means that you and I love to look at sexy things. Pastor, I didn't, hey, I can look, but I won't touch. No, you cannot. What did Jesus say? You've heard it said. That if any man cheats on his wife, that's adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, that too is adultery. Amen. Sex sells. The enemy knows that. And Christians are not supposed to buy what the enemy is selling. And yet so many of us are like, I don't do anything wrong with it. I just love the woman's form. Well, then be a painter. Stop flicking through Women's World magazine pretending it's not sin. Amen. All right. Number two. Number three, sensuality. Sensuality is the glorification of sexual beings and things. Second Kings 23 verse six tells us that the king himself removed the Asherah pole and burned it. In the Old Testament, it was common for the people of God to compromise their faith by also including the gods of other cultures, specifically the Asherah pole. This was a pole that looked like a penis that they would put into the temple of God. Hear me. In a church, a giant, you saw it, didn't you? Was that weird? And they said, well, it's beautiful, it's holy, it's good. And God does not see it the same way. Yes, God made all people. He made the woman. He made the man. He is well pleased with the way he has made all of us. But when we begin to glorify the body over God, when we begin to glorify the body with God, when sensuality becomes a part of our worship, modesty will always have a place in church. Come on, somebody. Now, in this church, you can come as you are. But if you came in just a thong, I'm hoping by the third Sunday, the Holy Spirit will convict you to wear more than a thong. Amen. 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 That's sensuality. That says it's beautiful. I love it. I feel so good. My wife is really good at this. I'm just a regular guy, not too fancy. I don't think of myself as very attractive. I'm 5'9". I'm a bit overweight and I'm kind of hairy. But from time to time, I like this button to be open because I sweat a lot. And my wife was like, oh, no, not today, Rico Suave. You better button that up. That's sensuality. Amen. Because what I'm doing is presenting an image of my body that may or may not lead others to temptation. And I say, you really think this is tempting? She goes, it is for me. And I'm like, that's enough. (laughs) Amen. All right. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. The fourth one in sins against self is orgies. Please tell me I don't have to explain this one. But I will. Did you ever think you'd have so much fun talking about sin? (laughs) Sexual deviancy with pleasure being the only goal. 2 Chronicles 21, 11 says the people worshiped other gods and they worshiped through the practice 
of sex. I've heard this said before, well, the marriage bed is undefiled, so whatever happens in the marriage bed is good. Hold up. Don't you go bring in something crooked into the marriage bed. I've heard this now three times over the course of the last year about spiritual leaders who've been removed from their position. They were engaged in swinging. I put it like that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Amen? They were married, holy, together, and a little something else. That is what this conversation is about. It's about taking a God-given thing, beautiful sex within the context of marriage and spicing it up because it's not fulfilling enough. And here's the problem with sex, like most sins, is that you get inoculated to it. You grow immune to it. So what thrilled you today no longer thrills you tomorrow. That's the problem with pornography. That's the problem with multiple partners. That's the problem with experimentation because it was dangerous and taboo the first time. But the second time it was kind of boring, so we got to do more things. This is dangerous territory territory for the life of a believer. And please don't think because husband and wife are doing it together, it's green lit. Be mindful that your body is used for good purpose for you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I hope I'm convicting everyone in the room. He's called us to holiness, friends. Last one, sins against the self, drunkenness. Habitual intoxication that's marked by a lack of self-control. Genesis 9 and 21, Moses is found drunken and uncovered, and he brings shame to his family. You said, great, don't worry, I don't drink, I smoke weed. It's Colorado, don't worry, I just do mushrooms. I do 100 microdoses. That's called a regular dose, just so we're all clear. Anything that changes your mental state, that lowers your inhibitions, or is a spirit other than the Holy Spirit, is antithetical to living by the Spirit. Amen? I have people ask me all the time, but can I smoke weed? Can you smoke weed and not get high? And the answer is no, right? They'd be like, "Why, why would I smoke weed then? I don't know, why would you smoke weed? That's the thing. Anything that perverts your way of thinking and removes your eyes from clearly seeing the Lord, that's dangerous territory. Please don't think you can call it medication. We have many ways we can use the benefits of marijuana, many ways we can use the benefits of other medicine that can heal the body without inebriating the mind. Amen. All right, sins against God, sins against self. And then I have five. We're nearly out of time. We'll have to do fruits next week. Sins against self. These are sins against the community. The last five of the 15, uh, actually we have seven of the 15. These are civil sins, things that we engage with that violate our community and our covenant with one another. Amen? So the first one is this, strife. Strife. This is when you are the kind of person, (laughs) this is going to get everybody, who is contentious and unwilling to compromise. Do you get your way all the time? Good. Because if you do, you are someone that produces strife in the lives of others around you. Genesis 13 and 7, the Bible tells us that there was a controversy, there was a strife that arose from the workers of Lot and the workers of Abram. And these two men who were in covenant to go after what God had promised had to separate because somebody in their camp couldn't take the high ground. 
Be mindful that you're not the kind of person who's causing separation and division in the lives of others because you've got to have it your way all the time. Number two, jealousy. This is stirring others up to envy and anger. This is not envy. We'll do that next. Jealousy is when you're the kind of person that takes your own jealousy and stirs others up to feel the same thing. Jealousy that leads to envy and anger. Proverbs 6 and 34 says it's jealousy that's actually the rage of a man and it leads to all kinds of bad choices. Jealousy that leads other people to also not like that person leads all these people to make incorrect assumptions and understandings about the world in which they live. Hear me, you will from time to time feel the spirit of envy. Be mindful you don't affect, infect other people with the same spirit. And then the next one is envy itself. Envy, that is to covet or want what others have. You know this from Exodus chapter 20, for we are not to covet what is other people's stuff. How do we do this? Can we talk about that? We live in America where everybody has something nicer than us. We live in social media where everybody only shows their good stuff. You know what I wish people would do? I wish people would do a day in the life that's actually a day in their life. Wouldn't y'all wish that they had their camera turned on when the alarm went off at 6.30 and their hair was all cockeyed and they had that one eye that was still stuck closed and they wandered their way to the kitchen looking busted and disgusted? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were real with each other for a moment? But you know what? We're not. We present our best foot forward and pretend that's our everyday. I'm going to tell you right now, in America, you're set up for failure. Envy is one of the most pervasive curses the enemy uses in our culture. And the only way that we defeat it is by being content with what the Lord has for us. Here's the challenge. Most of us haven't gotten there yet. You meet anybody in recovery, they use this phrase all the time. You ever heard by somebody say they've been to rock bottom? Rock bottom people have found a way to be content with what the Lord gives them. People who have lost all things when they gain even a small thing are very pleased with a small thing. And the Bible tells us if you can be faithful with little, you can be ruler over much. I want to challenge you today to stop looking at what other people have and take close stock at the beautiful blessings that you have. You got a roof. You got somebody that loves you. You got a church. That's a lot of the things that other people don't have. Amen. Because you and I will fool ourselves to think that they got it all together. Guess what? They do not have it all together. You can be wealthy and broken at the same time. Number four, fits of anger. These are outbursts with the intention to harm. Genesis 49 is the first mention of this. The Bible says that they were cursed by their anger, their wrath, because it was cruel. Here's what I want you to understand. It is not uncommon for humans to have angry moments, amen? But when your anger leads you to lash out and cause pain to other people, that is dangerous territory for them and for you. We are not to exercise our anger on other people. The Bible says, be angry, but sin not. The best part about that is God says, go ahead and be angry if you need to. Go into the other room and punch your pillow until you win the battle. And then come on out here and be normal. Amen. You're allowed to feel anger, but don't make your anger be felt by other people. Amen. All right. 
Last three, and we'll try to get out of here. I'm going to bless you, and we'll, we'll worship, and then we'll see what else happens next week or whenever, whatever. Who knows? Rivalries, okay? Rivalries. This is written in the text here, and I love this because this is only written in Galatians chapter 5. These are people who are troublemakers and drama-filled. You ever know anybody? Or if it's you, are you somebody who is always around drama? Do you ever meet somebody? And they're like, I don't understand it. Everywhere I go, there's drama. Hey, I'm your pastor. Let me give you the freedom. Just love them with the truth. Tell them it's you. I don't understand it. In my job, they're just chaos. Over here, it's just chaos. Just tell them. Stop it. Hold on for a second. <laughs> come here. I love you. Come here. Come here. Come here. You're chaos. You're the chaos. You're the storm that causes other people to be blown into fits. You're the rain that drowns every moment. I want to tell you right now, if you are troublesome to other people and drama attracting, that's dangerous territory as well. And it's only here in Galatians. There is no Old Testament precedent for this conversation. Why? Because he is talking about the Judaizers in this text. He is saying, there's a bunch of y'all. You suck. You guys, all you do is call chaos. Why are you even here? If you hate it here, go. And that I want you to understand if you're the kind of person I'm talking to and you're denying it in your heart, but in your spirit, man, you're feeling it. That is the reaction that we get from you. Gosh, why is everything terrible when you're around? Last two, dissensions. These are those who cause disunity and question authority. Ezra chapter four writes about these kind of people. The prophet calls them rebellious and they are specifically dangerous to leaders. So let me lay this out for you today. If when you're here, you find yourself questioning me as a leader, go. I'm not trying to be rude or mean or anything, but God wants to grow you. He wants to feed you. He wants to change you. And if every time I'm speaking, you have reasons to think I'm wrong, you are dying on the vine and you need to run. Amen? You need to run because it's bad for you. You need to run because it's disobedience because God doesn't see your critical eye as wisdom. He sees it as rebellion in the house. Amen? And God said, hear me, ready? I don't mind pushing you a little bit. God said, you're dangerous to me. And if you're dangerous to me, you're dangerous to all of us. If you're the kind of person who creates dissension, you need to decide to leave the room. Y'all with me? <laughs> I love this church. Last one, divisions. These are doctrinal fallacies, people that teach fake things, Jesus and, the Bible and, doctrinal fallacies that cause separation. Exodus chapter eight says that it is only God who separates his people from the world. And anybody who separates the people from within is dangerous to the people in and of themselves. So be mindful that all of the teaching that you share and all of the wisdom that you share is not an addition, not a subtraction, not a division of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. If it's anything else, 
else. God calls it dissension in the house. Now you say, hold on, because sometimes you might preach wrong. You know what? I'm human and I might. And you know what? On Tuesdays is when you get coffee with me and you show me the word and say, pastor, you said this, but in Isaiah 63, it says this. And I assure you, I am humble enough to be like, dang, oops. I better tell the church that. But you know what you don't do? You don't start a mini church in here. You don't start a little crew in here, and you don't take people with you. Amen. You come to me, we fix it, and then we grow together. Amen. Hear me last night. Last word, okay? If you're the kind of person who's always trying to find a way to disrupt the unity in this house, go Or may the Holy Spirit sniff you out and push you out. Amen? Rest assured, I'm going to follow this Bible whether you like it or not. I will not preach you any idea that's mine. I ain't that smart. Amen? We didn't finish our message, so when I come back, we're going to have to do the fruits of the Spirit, and I think we're going to have a good time. Would you do me a favor? Stand on your feet. I want to give you a push here. This Bible that we just studied said, for anyone who practices these things, these things, if any one of us is in this room and we felt the spirit of conviction because I said something and that's you, here's the stark warning. Paul says, I warned you once, I warned you again. If you walk this way, you are walking to hell. You cannot Expect eternal life if this is what you're marked by. And it is a terrifying warning in this place today. We can joke all we want, but if we're being honest, if you live in sin, you will die in sin and pay the penalty of sin. He uses this phrase. He says, there is no inheritance. But if you flip just one page and read Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says, for in Christ, we have an inheritance. And so today I'm going to give you an opportunity. You're being real honest with yourself. I hit the nail on the head. You've been living this way. You've been living outside the covenant of God's practice for sex and marriage. You've been consumed with images around sex. Money is the God of your life. You're cranky all the time. You cause chaos. Unwilling to compromise. You're mean. You're envious. And it is who you are. You're stuck in addiction and it is who you are. If you stay this way, you will die. But Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundant. He came that there might be a new you, a rebirth, that he might pour out rivers, rivers of living water that you'd be changed from the inside out. And if that's you today, I want to challenge you to say yes to Jesus. All over the room, this altar is open. And if you're ready today to let go of one more of those things that has you trapped living in the flesh, I want to invite you to come down to this altar. I'm going to ask a couple of my pastors, a couple of my deacons to meet us down here today. We're going to pray for you. You said, that's me. I got to let go of this thing. I've been stuck. I've been stuck and I can't get rid of it. I don't want to be stuck anymore. I want to live by the spirit of God. I'll wait. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that you give us stark and honest truth. 
Thank you for convicting us where we need to be convicted. And thank you for telling us the way home. Father, today we ask that you'd search our hearts. If there be anything in us that is unlike you, remove it. Call us back to you to live by the Spirit, to keep pace with the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.